0: love 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 <laughs> best sermon i've ever preached right there yeah. wouldn't it be great if it was that easy wouldn't it be great if that's all we had to say wouldn't it be great if people like me didn't complicate things and just make things harder to understand wouldn't wouldn't it be great if 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 people could just grasp the power of the empty tomb not just on easter but, but for all time, not just for us, but for, but for everyone. But we love to complicate things. It reminds me of a story I heard. A little boy went to Sunday school, and when he got back home, his dad asked him, what did you learn in Sunday school today? He said, well, the teacher taught us about the Exodus. And his dad said, really? What did you learn about the Exodus? Well, we learned that God sent Moses behind the enemy lines to get the children of Israel out of Egypt. And He led them out and when they got to the Red Sea, they couldn't go any further. So God had, or Moses had the, the army of Israel build a pontoon bridge. And they all walked across the Red Sea and, and escaped. But just then, here come the Egyptians. So Moses radioed to the, to, the, to the jet fighters and had them blow up the bridge. And they escaped out of Egypt. His dad said, is that, is that really the way the teacher taught you? And the little boy said, nah, but if I told you the way she did, you'd never believe it. That's what we do though. We complicate things. And when we complicate things, we take away faith. And in trying to make things more understandable and more accessible, too often what we end up leaving out is the power of God. And so we're left feeling like we don't get it. Like maybe we're just not smart enough or we don't have enough faith. We're not trying hard enough. And that's true when we complicate stories like the resurrection and stories like the Exodus. But where it really hurts is when we complicate the story of God's love. I really think that that it should be our goal to make the love of God as simple to understand as possible. It should be our goal to just make the love of God as simple to understand as possible. To make it clear from what we read and clear from what people see in us, so that by the way we live and by the words we choose and, and by the way we treat others, people would only see love, love, love. I want to share with you today from, from the book of Romans. Some <laughs> place we don't usually go on Easter. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 24. If you want to follow along in those blue Bibles in the pews, it's page 900 44. If you've got your smartphone with you and you want to follow along on the UVersion app, we've got the notes all up on the version app if you check for events in Kansas, Illinois. Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite Scriptures. I think it was one of my first memory verses. In fact, it was a memory verse before I knew it was in the Bible. I had read a book and I saw it written there and I, I just put it to memory. And it was a, quite a while later before someone said, yeah, Brett, that's in the Bible. I, I thought someone else had come up with that. Romans 8.28 tells us, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. It's an amazing promise. But as you look at the whole passage, not just Romans 8.28, but the verses that follow, you realize this promise only makes sense in light of the Easter story. It only makes sense because of the resurrection. God's greatest promise for you begins with an empty tomb and it ends with love, love, love. The empty tomb declares God's love for us. And what this verse tells us is that God is always concerned with your greatest good. We have a lot of little sayings we use to try to bring comfort to people. We have a lot of little things we'll say. I think we say them mostly just to fill the silence because we feel like we've got to say something. And so we'll say things like, you know, God will never give you more than you can bear. Really? (laughs) Because He seems to be trying kind of hard sometimes. God will not give you more than you can bear. We'll say things like, you know, whenever God closes a door, He opens a window. I have enough trouble with doors. Uh, You expect me to squeeze through a window? How is that going to help? So many of those things, we're trying to be nice, we're trying to be encouraging. So many of them are too good to be true. And then we come to Romans 8.28 and talk about too good to be true. God works all things together for good for those who have been called according to His purposes. You see, the problem with all those other sayings is so many of them deny The reality of your pain. God will never give you more than you can handle. Tell that to a cancer patient. Tell that to a parent of a special needs child. Trust me, you don't want to do that. When God closes a door, He opens a window. What what windows are open for abandoned spouses? We can't read Romans 8.28 in that same category though because Romans 8.28 acknowledges the reality of pain. The pain of of all things. And yet the reality that there is someone who is greater than all things. If we're not careful, we allow our pain to occupy so much of our attention that we can't see anything greater. We can focus on our hurts. We can focus on our wounds to the point that we see nothing else. That we can't see a way out. We can't imagine life without our hurt. But we come to Easter. We come to the message of the resurrection. And there is something greater than our hurt. Something greater than our worst fear. Something greater than death itself here at the resurrection. We've been looking through Paul's letter to the Ephesians this year at Kansas Christian Church. And back in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Paul writes, God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead, in our trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. Alive together with Christ. That's us. That's us today and forever. And that's what he's saying not only in Romans 8.28, but in in the verses that follow. If you look at verses 29 and 30, Paul, uh, Paul goes on and writes, For those whom God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He... Might be the firstborn among many brothers, and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. I gotta tell you, there's a lot of big words in there. And there's a lot of debate about what those big words mean. Don't get me started on what predestined means here. And so, and again, some it's something we love to to complicate. And so let me dumb it down for me, and and maybe maybe you can catch a little bit of it too. God has, has always been working for your good. God has always been working for you, your good. Before you were born, God was working for your good. He had destined you for good. When He called you to follow Him, He called you for your good. When He, when he saved you, He saved you for your good. And, and one day when the pain is gone, He will change you. He will glorify you for your good. It's a reminder that God is consistently looking out for your greatest good. And it goes hand in hand with what Paul says next, and that is that God, God is always acting on your behalf. It's a statement that seems to emphasize our understanding of God working for our good. There's an amazing statement of, of confidence and an amazing statement of comfort in verse 31. Paul writes, what then shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us? We have become a nation of fours and against. We have become divided by our fours and by our against. We have become divided by our opinions. There are people who are for gun control. There are people who are against abortion. There are people who are for marriage equality. There are people who are against tax increases. And we bristle, we bristle when we encounter someone who is for something we're against. Or when someone is against something that we are for. But the glory in this passage is it's not a matter of God's opinions or God's preferences. It's not that God... That's not that God has an opinion for you or against you. When we read if God is for us, we read that God is acting on your behalf. God is acting on your behalf. He is so for you that He can't do anything against you. To the point that He gave up His own Son for you. He goes on in verse 32 and He writes, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? And even greater, He he will not allow anyone, anything, to stand in your way. Paul goes on in verses 34 and 35. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the One who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and who indeed is interceding for us. You know, we ought to let the question haunt us just a little bit. If God is for us, who can be against us? Verse 35, he goes on and says, who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, those those can't separate us from the love of God. He, he eliminates an awful lot there. Then he goes on in verses 38 and 39, and he says, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So what's left? If God is for us, who can be against us? I think something is left. And I'll tell you what's, what's left. You and me. We're left. Who can be against you? You can be against you. You can be against you when you don't understand what God has promised you when you don't understand the good that he is working for you when you choose to just lay down and die rather than fight for the life that he has bought you you are against you what will it take for us to acknowledge that we are our own worst enemies that we are our own worst enemies we fill our lives with things we fill our lives with our accomplishments and and maybe we get a moment or two of happiness but in those moments when everything is quiet, we realize that we are still just empty, and that in and of ourselves, there is nothing that can save us. There is nothing within ourselves that can give us real hope or real joy. We are empty. And that's our problem. But our hope also comes from something that's empty. The tomb is empty, and He lives. And He can live within your heart. That's, that's our message. That's our hope. In a world of, of empty promises, in a world of empty lives, Christ's victory over death brings you victory in your life. Paul's already promised us here in Romans 8 that God is working for our good. And he's already asked us the question, if, if God, who is working for your good, if God is for us, then who can be against us? And just in case we haven't figured it out by now, He goes on and tells us in verse 37: In in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And that's when he lists death or life, angels or demons, the present, the unknown future, all these things. All these things can frighten us, all these things can intimidate us, but can they conquer us? No, they can't. So, can anything conquer us? No. Paul says, "We are more than conquerors, more than conquerors." And in the Greek, the word he uses literally means, we are, we are over-conquerors." It's kind of like being an overachiever. We are over-conquerors through him who loved us, through that very personal story that you have, that story that you have about when you met the risen Christ, when you met Jesus, because of his love for you, because of the good. That He showed you because of His power, because of His forgiveness, you over-conquered and you cannot be defeated. There is so much that we can look at as defeat in our lives. There is so much that looks like defeat in our lives, in our community, in our world. I think about the people in this room, the people who make up the, the this body of Christ, this church here, and in the church, in our our community. And right now, we've got people here who are grieving the loss of loved ones. We have people who are grieving the loss of of parents, the loss of spouses, the loss of brothers and sisters. And that can look like defeat. But is it defeat? No. Because Paul says neither death nor life can separate us from the love of God. We have people dealing with difficult health diagnoses with with cancer and, and with other illnesses, and people with some difficult choices ahead of them. Is that defeat? No, because Paul says, because tribulation and distress cannot separate us from the love of Christ. And we can question, we, we have questions about the stability of our world. We have questions about the, distil, the, the stability of our economy, the, the stability of our community, the stability of our jobs. Can any of those things conquer us? No, because Christ has conquered things that are present and things that are to come. What about divorce? What about depression? What about addiction? No, in all these things, we overconquer, Because God is for you and nothing can stand against Him. Because you, in Him, you are more than a conqueror. Next week, we pick back up in Ephesians chapter 3 and in Ephesians chapter 3 Paul gives us a prayer a prayer that calls us to look at the source of our victory he calls us to pray that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in his love would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge did you hear it love 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 right there it's just that simple. It's our message. It's our heartbeat. It's what Jesus went to the cross and conquered the grave for us to know. And, and that prayer in Ephesians 3 is a call for us to fill the emptiness within our lives with the fullness of God's love. The reality is that may be something you can't imagine right now. The pain that you're carrying may just seem too heavy. The, the grief that you're feeling may be weighing you down, or the darkness that you feel has just completely encircled you, that may have completely emptied you of anything that looks or sounds like hope. And I'm never going to pretend that our struggles aren't real. I am never going to tell you that God will not give you more than you can bear. I'm not going to pretend that there isn't a lot in our lives and in our world that, that is against us. But I will not let go of the promise of the empty tomb. And that is broken and is damaged and as empty as you and I might be, Christ can still fill us. And because Jesus conquered the grave, you and I can overconquer whatever is against us. Would you stand with me as we, as we pray? Father, it is Easter. Our songs today remind us that Jesus lives, that He reigns in victory over the grave. But Father, we need Him to reign in victory over our pain, our struggles, and even our own emptiness. Lord, the the list of all the things that that seem to be against us, it it just grows. It grows every year. Let us not forget, though, that You are for us. And no matter our pain, no matter our struggle in Christ, we are more than conquerors. And that because He conquered the grave, we can know victory in our lives. And we can know that because... Because of Jesus, nothing can separate us from Your love. We're putting up on the screen here the words to Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21. and This is the the end of Paul's prayer there in Ephesians 3. Would you pray this with me as we close? Now to Him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Go in peace.